Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Bless God. Do you might have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? This, this morning? You know, sometimes it's hard to, like, tune into the presence because you're looking around or things like that. So I had to, like, close my eyes. And I was just, when, you know, when she was singing Let, Us, Let It Rain, I just kept thinking of, like, the manna from heaven that was raining mm-hmm. and how, like, amazing that was, right? Because we always pray, you know, bless this fruit and the bread from the earth. And this is the first time, you know, we're seeing it from heaven, come straight from heaven. And uh, I don't know, it's just a really beautiful presence this morning to feel that, that he's willing and wanting to give us that direct manna from heaven if we're willing to receive it. Yeah. And willing to just take our daily bread, meaning literally daily bread, you know, every day to tune into his presence. So thank you for that. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Anyone else? Uh, Revelation 22 talks about the river of the water of life that proceeds from the throne of God. And it says that between the main street and the river was the tree of life producing 12 kinds of fruit, a different kind every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be any, any curses. So Revelation 22 is when the tikkun olam, the restoration of all things, has come to fulfillment, and God the Father is on the earth, right? And we see the fullness of the kingdom manifested. But right now, we don't have the fullness. We have portion, right? And so the we were singing about the river this morning, and until this fullness comes, the in part that we have is that God manifest his river through us. Yeshua said that from our bellies would flow streams of living water, spirit, right? So God moves through his people to bring forth that river still flowing from his throne, but we don't see it in fullness on the earth yet. And we get portions of that that come through his people to touch the nations for healing, to lift curses, to do all the things that Revelation 22 talks about. Yeah. I just really felt that this morning, that God wanted to flow through us to, to do those things. Amen. Yeah, I don't know if y'all see up on the screen. That's in this lesson today. <laughs> and that's when, ja- so yeah, when Jamie said it this morning, yeah, no. when Jamie comes up, she said, I just think we need to jump in the river. I was just like, oh my goodness. And then she talks about the river coming from the throne. I was like, this is amazing. So, and now then Michael piggybacking on it. And that is absolutely part of the message today. <laughs> Praise God. Isn't he wonderful? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Michael. Um, anyone else? The message today really is around the idea of complete salvation, um, ultimately culminating in uh, the day in which God dwells with man and the river water flows from the temple and brings healing to the nations, right? 
And there's a process that we go through in which this complete salvation takes place. And along the way, there's challenges that we face, um, times in which we could stop, give up, turn back. But God calls us to go forward because he's going to be with us and he's going to take us to that place of complete restoration. But he's asking us to come, come along with him. And so I had a few questions to start out, you know, um, with just along the lines of, have you ever been given a promise by the Lord or had a battle, battle to fight or a prayer that you have that is yet to be answered? But you, in, in all those situations, you haven't seen the resolution yet. You haven't seen the promise fulfilled. You haven't seen the victory in the battle. And, and in the other cases, you haven't seen the prayer answered. And, and within those things, do you, have you come to the point where, where you've given up or at least feel like giving up? because it looks like there's just no possible way for things to work out. And sometimes not only does it look like it's not likely to work out, it looks like it couldn't get any worse. Like it's just so stacked up against you that you just don't even know what to do. And I feel like the message the Lord has is stand by and see the salvation of the Lord and whatever that is. You know, and you, we read that verse, you know, in this, in this week's portion of stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. In fact, I'll just jump there right now with Exodus 14, 13. Um, Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand fast and see the salvation of the Lord that he will perform for you today. For as you have seen Egypt today, you shall not see them ever again. The Lord shall make war for you, and you shall remain silent. Now, with this, it's all, it sounds like it's a passive thing, that you just stand still and see the salvation of God as he's going to move, and you have no part, you're just going to watch him do it. But that's not the full story. There's more to it than that, because... Immediately after, he says this, the Lord says to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Speak to the children of Israel and let them journey forth. Right? He says, go forward. But you said, just said, stand by and see. And then he says, go forward. Which one is it? Well, it's both. But the whole stand by and see harkens back to a previous event that we read back in Exodus uh, 2. And so we, we are going to get to that. I didn't intend to go there yet. But we're, we're going to come to that. But it's hearkening back to something that, that happened before. And we have an active role in God bringing complete salvation to us. right? And in this week's portion, we have so many things that take place that we could spend this whole morning talking about. We have the splitting of the sea, followed by the song by the sea that Moses and the children of Israel sing. And then you have Miriam's song. Then you have the journeys beginning and they go to uh, three days in the wilderness and they come to the water that is bitter. And then you have the manna and the quail given. You have the Shabbat given. You have water coming from the rock and you have war with Amalek. Goodness. 
There's a lot that takes place in this week's portion. And what I felt like the message is, I mean, within this, there's a storyline that God's giving to the children of Israel. They've seen his power and his might that he has poured out on Egypt to bring them out. And he is... He has saved them and redeemed them. And now here at the sea, he's delivering them from their enemies. And then as they go forward, they come to the bitter waters and he's their healer. Then you go forward to the manna and quail and Shabbat and water from the rock. And now he's their provider, both of food, water and rest and restoration. And then next you go forward into war with Amalek and now he's their defender. They're seeing all these different aspects of how God is going before them, is with them, and he's bringing them to greater levels of faith and trust in him. As, you know, they start out coming out of Egypt, we see you're powerful, and we see you're faithful to your covenant, but what about this? Are you going to give me food? Are you going to give me water? Are you going to give me rest? Right? Are you going to heal me? Are you going to be the one who continues to fight battles for me? And in all those cases, God says, yes, 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 yes. Because it's not enough for him just to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He has to bring them to himself as well and make them his people. And part of that making them his people is to restore them fully, to heal them, and then to make them able to journey forth with him. And so if we... Uh, if we, if we go and, and kind of look at this storyline of the Savior, Healer, and so forth, it starts back in Exodus 3, 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I've known their suffering. Right? So God is remembering his people. He has felt the sufferings. In, in all the ways his children were afflicted, he was afflicted. And then... He says he has remembered the covenant in Exodus 6, 5. I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves and I have remembered my covenant. And then he goes forward into saying the famous four aspects of redemption. And there are six things that he says that he's going to do here in Exodus 6, 6 through 8. He says to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that the Egyptian, or excuse me, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will, give, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So he says, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to redeem you. Right? That's pretty good. You know, if you think back to Passover when we're going through the Seder and we sing Dianu and we say it would have been not, it would have been enough if you had just done this, but then you also did this. And it would have been enough. It would have been enough. You know, would, the redemp would his redemption from them, of them from Egypt have been enough? Well, in one way, yes, but not enough for God. Because, no, his desire is the complete salvation, right? The complete restoration. He says, no, I'm going to take you now to be my people, and I'm going to fulfill my word. I'm a God who is faithful to keep my promises, faithful to uphold my covenant. I'm your Savior and Redeemer, your Deliverer, your Healer, your Provider, the one who gives you life and your Defender. The list goes on. 
He says, I'm your all in all. I am your El Shaddai. I am Hashem, right? The one who has compassion on you. So what a glorious God. What a glorious God. And as Leslie was seeing earlier and just crying out, we love you, we love you. We lo How can you not love someone who loves you so much and has done so much for you and has said, I am all these things to you and I'm here to bring you all the way to complete salvation. Amen. Amen. And so today is Shabbat Shira, the Sabbath of song. And it's always on the Shabbat when we read the splitting of the sea and the children of Israel singing uh, by the by the Sea of Reeds after the Egyptians have been drowned. And after the children of Israel sing their song along with Moses, then the scripture, there's two verses that pop in here right after that. You have the whole song that is sung. And then in Exodus 15, verse 20, the scripture says, there's, there's two verses that are put in here. Exodus 15, 20 to 21. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to, sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Okay, so, so Miriam then led the women forward into joyous dancing before the Lord, and then encouraging them to sing unto him. And she's saying the first lines of the song that, Moses and the children of Israel had sang, right? But she's bringing forth the voices of the women in celebration. And the sages noted something here in verse 20 because they said, okay, Miriam was a prophetess. And before this, we didn't know that she was a prophetess. Also, and then it lists her as the sister of Aaron, but not the sister of Moses. Huh, that's interesting because if she's the sister of Aaron, she's also the sister of Moses. But the scripture doesn't say Moses here. So the sages derived from this that this is actually referring back to a prophecy that she had given to her parents. That, that her mom would give birth to the Savior of Israel. And at the time that she had this prophecy that she shared with her parents, she was not yet the sister of Moses. She was just the sister of Aaron. Okay, so what is this all about? So if we looked back in Exodus 2, okay, in Exodus 2, we're going to read, okay, we'll, we'll just start reading here in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and, and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, or, or actually that he was good, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Okay, so let's just stop. Okay, we're gonna, we'll keep going. We'll come back. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse? 
from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Now notice right here, the name Miriam's not mentioned. It's just his sister, his sister, his sister. But according to tradition, Amram and Jochebed were, uh, well, they, they were Moses' parents, right? Not according to tradition. But according to tradition, they had separated after Pharaoh had given the decree that all male boys would be thrown into the Nile because they didn't want to bring forth a child that would then be, would be killed. Now Amram was the leader of the people and, and Miriam had come and, and said, look, mom's going to give birth to the savior of Israel. And then two, if you cut off, you know, you as the leader, if you separate from our mother and don't have any children, then your decree is far more severe than Pharaoh's decree because his was just that the, that the boys would die, but yours is that there would be no offspring because people will follow your lead, right? So there were multiple aspects to this, but one of the key things was this prophetic word that the Savior of Israel would come from her mother. So Amram and, and Jochebed come back together, and I actually find that she's three months pregnant, so she was already pregnant. And, uh, and so then she gives birth to Moses, and she hides him for three months. And then she can't hide him anymore. And often we'll read this story and we know the end. And so we don't stop and think about what was really going on. What were the people in this storyline experiencing? Because here, Miriam, their daughter had given them a, a prophecy that they would give birth to the Savior of Israel. And then they come back together and they find, wow, pregnant. This is, this is God's hand. This is wonderful. And look, the boy is born and we see that he's good. He's Kitov. He's good. And so things are looking good. But then you come to the point where I can't do anything else. And so we take him and put him in essentially a coffin in the river because that's what it could end up being. And so what is Jochebed thinking at this moment? Is she thinking, where's God? What about my daughter's words? How can this be, right? It's heartbreaking. And so many people had gone through this at this point because they had lost their children. They'd been taken from them and thrown in the Nile. And now here it is. It looks like the same thing's about to happen to this ch child who I thought was going to be the savior of Israel. And so what happens? Should they lay it in the, among the reeds by the bank of the river? And then in verse 4, the scripture says, His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. She's the one watching. It's not like her mom said, hey, go watch and see what happens. Miriam just says, I'm going to go see. And at this point, even Miriam has to be questioning, what's going on? Is this really what I thought was going to happen? Or is it over? And then not only that, you have to think about the, the struggle in her. Here's her. My name is Miriam, bitter waters. Am I the one who's brought bitter waters on my family? And, and it harkens back to the idea of when Jacob had taken 
the blessing from Esau. And Esau says, rightly was he named Jacob. Is Miriam saying, rightly was I named Miriam? Because I brought bitter waters on my family. But she still has the courage to go and watch and see what's going to happen. Why does she have the courage? Is it because she said, no, no, I know that God is bringing a Savior. And I believe this can still be the one, even though it looks like it's over. I'm going to stand from afar and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to see what will become of him. And so then she's watching. And she sees Pharaoh's daughter come to the riverbank. And could it get much worse? If you're watching this story play out and you see Pharaoh's daughter coming and finding your brother, it's over, right? But it's not over. Because Pharaoh's daughter was, earning, was going to earn the name of Batiah, the daughter of God, because she was going to act according to God's character and nature, not her father's character and nature. And so she had compassion on the boy. Then think about this. She, she sees him and she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. But was that it? No. Then verse 7, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Talk about bold. <laughs> she's standing from afar and she sees it and she says, this is my opportunity. This is the chance. I'm going to go forward and I'm going to go to Pharaoh's daughter and I'm going to say, I'll help. Oh, that's standing by and seeing the salvation of God. That's standing by, standing and watching with expectation and saying, I know what the promise is. I know who my God is. I know it may look bad, but he can overcome it all. And now, based on that, I'm going to go and I'm going to seek the opportunity out and I'm going to take it. And I'm going to see what God does through me going and acting on his goodness and his character. Praise God. And... Wow. Tell me Miriam didn't have a reason standing there on the other side of the sea and seeing the Savior having brought the children of Israel across and seeing God hurling the Egyptians into the sea instead of the, of the Hebrew boys. Right? And saying God has done great things. Let's go and let's dance before Him. Right? Now, and, you know, we, we've, uh, I've already jumped a little bit ahead there, right? They've already come across the, the sea, and, and they've seen the victory, and they've sung, and they've danced. And I guess I'm, I'm actually going to continue on from here. But when the, when the children of Israel were standing at Pai Haharoth, and the Egyptians were coming against them, which, just a side note, Pihaharoth is the mouth of freedom. Pihaharoth means the mouth of freedom. God told them to circle back and go back to Pihaharoth. Go back to the mouth of freedom, where it looks like you're hemmed in, but it's where my victory is going to come. Right? And then God splits the sea and brings them through. Now, when, when all hope seemed lost, that's where we found ourselves with Moses saying in Exodus 14, as we read earlier, saying to the people, fear not, stand firm, 
and you will see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You will only have to be silent. Now, when he says stand firm and see the salvation, what he will work for you today, the stand firm is the verb yatsav, okay? And then what he will do, asa, for you, okay? That parallels back in Exodus 2 when we read with Miriam standing afar, she yatsav to see what would asa to him. Okay? So she stood firm to see what would happen to him. And now Moses says, stand firm and see what will happen to you. Right? Moses had been placed in the, in the bulrushes. Okay? It looked like his end was done, but she stood to see what would happen. The children of Israel are standing at the sea. It looks like their, their end has come. And he says, no, stand and wait to see what God will do for you. Just as Moses was delivered from the water, so God was going to deliver the children of Israel from the water. It's pretty cool. But that's the standing and seeing. Now, and then that's what happens. They stand, they look with the expectation of God is going to deliver us. And what do they do? They go forward. In Exodus 14, 15 through 18, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the, tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now, I'm going to stop at that because within this, according to tradition, there's something that actually took place between the time when God said, Tell the people of Israel to go forward and when he said, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. And what took place is that Nachshon, who was of the tribe of Judah and who was Aaron's brother-in-law. Okay, the, Nachshon is the brother of Aaron's wife. He knew that God said to go forward and he went forward into the sea. And others followed him. And so the waves are crashing which actually Nachshon means waves. Okay? And so the waves are crashing. He's gone forward because he said, the Lord said, go forward. I'm going forward. I don't know how this is going to work out, but God said, do it. I'm going. I'm acting on faith. And then God says to Moses, my people are perishing. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And so then God makes the way such that his children are not lost and they can go forward and do what he has told them to do. It's just an incredible story of everything, everything we're seeing here in this path of faith, of saying it may look impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then God's going to move when he sees that faith. When he sees us move forward as he's called us, he moves on our behalf and brings forth great salvations. So now that now the victory has happened over the army of Egypt, they've been destroyed. God has saved, redeemed, and delivered the children of Israel. They've sang their song of uh, celebration to him, and Miriam has led the children of, or the, the women in dance and song as well. And now the children of Israel set forward and they go a three-day journey into the wilderness. And during that three days they have no water. 
They have no water. And three days without water is a long time to go without water, especially in the wilderness. I mean, think about Yom Kippur. It's one day is a long time to go without water while we're sitting in the comfort of our homes and everyone's chugging water afterwards and going, man, that was hard. <laughs> yeah, tell me about hard. Okay, right? <laughs> the children of Israel knew what hard was and they come to Mara. It's called Mara, which is bitter. Because, and let's go ahead and read here in Exodus 15, 22. Moses made Israel set out from the, the Sea of Reeds, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. Actually, it's a tree. Eights. A tree. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Now, this is an interesting aspect, and the sages took note of why is the Lord talking about being their healer at this point of the story because they came to a place where there was bitter water and they said, you know, they cried out. God shows Moses a tree. He throws a tree into the water. The waters become sweet. And then God says, I'm your healer. You healed the waters, but why are you saying you're my healer? I can see you're my provider here and you're transforming the water into sweet and you're giving me what I need but where's the healing come in and the healing comes in because there's two degrees of what was bitter when they arrived at these waters the waters were bitter but the people were bitter too so when you read here in the scriptures when it says that they came to Mara but they could not drink the waters of Mara because they were bitter. Okay, This can be read as the people were bitter. They couldn't drink the water because the people were bitter. And therefore they called its name Mara. See, notice there, even though they say they called its name, they called it, this body of water, Mara. It's in the singular as opposed to they were bitter. And so you notice the contrast here. Of we can see that the water was bitter, but the people were bitter too. And so God was bringing healing, not just to the waters, but to the people as well. And what he was doing there is, is he took the tree. He had Moses take this tree and throw the tree in the water. And the water brought this transformation. Now there's multiple levels of symbolism that we could see in this. One of which is that trees and water can both be associated with Torah. Okay? Now, so the Torah is a tree of life to those who find it. The Torah is a tree of life to those who find it. And notice that he says, if you will hearken to the voice of the Lord and do what is just in his eyes, 
give ear to his commandments and observe all his decrees. Again, now we're talking about God's Torah, his instruction is what is going to bring healing to the people. And this tree thrown in the water brings healing as well to the water. And it's cast into the water to bring transformation. And so you've got multiple things, right? Again, this is another picture of something being cast into water. You had babies cast in the water. You had the Egyptians cast in the water. Now you have the tree cast into the water. Interesting. And I tend to think of the tree as even being a picture of Yeshua, who is, who is the living Torah, who was cast into what bitter waters, right? Now, what are, what are waters? What is Yom? It's the sea. It's, it's uh, humanity. So the sea is symbolic of humanity. And so Yeshua cast into that, brought purification to humanity through being cast down. The one who brought the word to us, the one who uh, not only heals the land, but heals us as well, right? Bringing a complete salvation. And the interesting thing about the trees and the water very much ties into what we were talking about earlier with uh, the water flowing forth from Jerusalem and bringing, bringing healing. And it, there's a few scriptures I want to tie into here. Actually, before we do that, so, you know, I mentioned that the people were bitter. It's like, why were the people bitter? Okay, I didn't, didn't really answer that question. But if you even go all the way back to the beginning of the slavery in Exodus 1.14, it says the Egyptians made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and brick, right? The Egyptians made their lives bitter through their hard work. And then not only through their hard work, but through then secretly having the midwives try to kill the newborn babies and then embittered them even more by throwing their boys into the, into the Nile such that the people's lives were bitter. And when they had been brought out of Egypt, and been redeemed and saved from that affliction. And they had been and seen the victory over the Egyptians. There was some measure of restoration that was taking place. There was some kind of justice that was being poured out measure for measure. But seeing that justice wouldn't take away all the hurt. It wouldn't take away all the hurt. There, there would be some aspect where it would be like, okay, God's, God's bringing things about to make things right. But there would still be a hole in your soul from all the pain that you had suffered through the loss of a child or simply through not having lost a child and feeling guilty that you didn't lose it. The survivor guilt, right? There were people who survived the Holocaust who felt guilty because why did they survive? But others died. That's the nature of, of how the mind works. And so everyone came out scarred from Egypt. And they needed healing. They needed to know that God wasn't just this powerful one, but that he was a compassionate one. That he was the provider, that he was the healer. That he was their shield and defense. 
And that's what he began to show them as he's taking them on the journey to Mount Sinai. To say, I'm going to show you my compassion and love for you. It goes beyond just faithfulness to uphold a word. It goes beyond just my power and mastery over all of nature and over all these false gods. It comes down to my deep love for you. To see you restored and whole and to walk in that wholeness. And so he's coming and taking bitter hearts and bringing restoration to them and saying, I'm your healer. I'm the one who's going to be your ruler. I will be God over you. But unlike Pharaoh, my decrees, my commandments are going to bring life to you as opposed to death and bitterness. I am your healer. Listen to my voice and follow me and do what I call you to do and see that restoration take place. And then he's with them every step of the way, taking them further to test them. And that testing is for their healing, bringing them to the point of like, I'm, I'm taking you farther. Now you've, you've overcome this. Now let's go. Let's go one more step. Let's go another step. Let's go another step. And I'm going to bring you all the way to the place of Sinai where I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to come down on the mountain. I'm going to bring you to me. I'm going to take you to me as a people and I will be your God. And then later on, I will bring you to the land. But each step of the way produces something in the children of Israel so they are ready for the next step and can move forward in that. Because he's a loving God and knows exactly what they need and how to lead them. And so what God's working towards is restoring a people that will be his who then go forward and bring restoration to the rest of the world as being a light to the nations. People who know God, live by his decrees, have experienced his healing, his salvation, and then go and bring that salvation to others. And really through the rest of the time that we go through uh, the Chumash, right, we, we see God bringing an escalation of his sanctuary, his presence, and we see the temple built. We see the progression through history of God sending his son Yeshua to bring us salvation and bring us into deeper relationship with him, to bring the kingdom, preparing the way for the end of the age when Messiah returns, brings restoration through the messianic era, and then the tabernacle of God comes and heaven and earth come together. And in Ezekiel 47, we see a picture of this. So Ezekiel 47, the second, I mean, starting somewhere around Ezekiel 40, we begin to get pictures of the third temple, that Ezekiel's being given visions of what things are going to look like in the Messianic era. And when the third, third temple is built and when the Levites are restored and the, the, all the functions of the temple are re, reinstated uh, with all the service unto God. And when we come to Ezekiel 47, we're already at the point where the Messiah has come back, the offerings and all the functionality of the temple is restored. And he brings Ezekiel. He brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. So water is flowing forth from the temple. Isn't that so cool? 
<laughs> and then we go forward. I'm skipping forward to verse 8. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea, enters the Yam. Okay? So Miriam is Maryam, bitter water. It enters the Yam, enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. No, it'll be healed. The water will be healed when this water from the temple flows into the Yam. It's the bitter water turning fresh, being healed. It's the healing that comes forward from the water that flows from the temple. Okay? And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. It brings life. It brings life. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, be healed, so that everything will live where the river goes. Right? In verse 12, And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will, be, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Really cool, right? And that leads us into Revelation 22, which Michael read earlier. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Right? So the water flows forth, and it's got the tree by the water, and that, the trees are the tree of life. Did you know the sages associated the tree that Moses threw into the water with the tree of life? Yeah. So the sages associated that tree with the tree of life. And what is the tree of life? It is the Torah that brings life. It is Yeshua who brings life. And here we have from the throne of God and of the Lamb, the water comes forward and it's surrounded by the tree of life. And the tree of life, well, one, it gives life and healing to the nations. And this is talking about in the end of days when God is restoring all things, when he's wiping away every tear and he's bringing the completeness, the fullness of the salvation, not just to the children of Israel, but to all the world and all who are in it, and all the fish, all the animals, all the earth being restored. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture. And with this, you know, we talk about, we talk about how Yeshua, the, the tree that was thrown into the water, that turned the waters to sweet, that healed the waters and healed the people. We talk about it being likened unto Yeshua, who is the living Torah, the living tree of life. And I can't help but think of Isaiah 53. And surely he bore our griefs. Our, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sor sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, scourging we are healed. By his scourging we are healed. By his being cast down, we were brought up. And healing came forth from his leaves, from his life, from his teaching, from his word, from his blood. 
so that we could be restored. And now we walk that path along with him. We, and as Michael said earlier, right now we don't have the fullness of that complete salvation that is to come, but we do have the river of life flowing within us, right? We have that river of life bringing restoration to us. We have the voice of the Lord leading us and guiding us and saying, now go here, go forward. That looks impossible. You don't think you can overcome that? That prayer hasn't been answered? Go forward and see the salvation of the Lord. See His complete salvation manifesting and working in you and in those around you. Even as you go and you stand and watch, have the courage as Miriam did who when faced with this thing of, did the word fail? Was I wrong? Did I bring disaster and calamity on my family? No, have the courage to go and stand by and see what God will do. Watch with expectation and go forward. Like Nachshon, dive in to the river. Actually, it was the sea, but I had to pull off the dive into the river. <laughs> dive into the sea, go forward and see the salvation of the Lord as he brings his complete salvation. Amen. Did anybody have anything that you wanted to share? I was thinking, thinking about a couple things, but you were talking a lot about the, the bitter waters being healed, or in this case, the fresh water from the temple, the river of life flowing into salty waters mm -hmm. and healing them, right? And I just thought that was interesting. In Revelation 21.1, it says that there will be no more sea, mm, so there oh will yeah. be no more bitter waters mm. when God restores all <laughs> things. You know? Amen. Amen. Um, and... Uh, I also just always loved, I wanted to mention, I've always looked at this and loved this, that um, in Exodus 15, after the redemption, they go through the sea. It says, Miriam, the prophet, sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with, with after her with tambourines dancing, as Miriam sang to them. So the idea that the children of Israel left Egypt in a hurry, and they couldn't bring... A lot of things they couldn't bring everything right but all the women brought their tambourines you know Miriam leading them so they were expecting a victory and a miracle and expecting to with expectancy to praise God you know and I I just thought that that was really cool that they all brought their their instruments to praise yeah. Lord, amen you know with expectancy yes amen wonderful anybody else I want to elaborate when you said stand firm earlier and how it was not doing nothing. Okay. Um, standing firm is not easy. You know, it's no one who stands for a long time you know, knows that standing is easy. Um, standing firm when the world is turning against you, right? When the world's ways are going one way and you stand firm in God's way, that is not easy. Um, especially, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. Um, so standing firm has consequences, right? Um, 
but uh, these scripture verses came to mind about standing firm. Therefore, you are to be careful to do as um, you, you are not to deviate either to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 5. Only be strong and very bold in taking care to follow all the Torah which Moshe, my servant, ordered you to follow. Do not turn from it, from it either to the right or to the left. Then you will succeed wherever you go. Yes, keep this book of the Torah on your lips and meditate, it, meditate on it day and night so that you will take care to act according to everything written in it. Then your undertakings will prosper and you will succeed. Haven't I ordered you? Be strong, be bold. So don't be afraid or downhearted. Uh, it's Joshua 1. Proverbs uh, 4. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze on what lies in front of you. Level the path for your feet. Let all your ways be properly prepared. Then deviate neither right nor left. And keep your foot far from evil. And then Romans 7. Therefore, what are we to say? That the Torah is sinful? Heaven forbid. Rather, the function of the Torah was that without it, I would not have known what sin is. Right? So it, it's all this, I mean, exactly what you're saying. Praise God. Praise God. And Philip, right up here. Jamie has something. Philip's getting his workout today. Come on, Philip, faster. Faster. No. <laughs> <laughs> Go forward. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that you were talking about Ezekiel 47 because that's a Bible verse that I've just been hearing repeatedly. Like everywhere I go, I keep oh. hearing it over. So to me, the Lord is really touching on that and speaking about that. In just a couple of days, I heard someone preaching about that, literally just a couple of days ago. And he was focusing on the part where the man goes out in the water and first the water's ankle mm. deep and it keeps rising. Mm -hmm. And he said he was talking about how the way we are when we come to, into the Lord, to the Lord's presence, that we, some people will go ankle deep, mm -hmm. some people will go waist deep, and, you know, that we kind of go out to where we're comfortable. And he's like, but he was saying that the Lord wants us to go deeper. He wants us to go deeper into his presence, mm -hmm. deeper into the river. And, you know, healing is there. That's one thing I really felt the Lord also touching on through the worship and through your, what you're talking about is healing. And I thought of a story that I've heard it before, and actually I heard it again a couple of days ago about a lady who was counseling a woman in Bosnia. They have a lot of warfare there, a lot of trauma, and, and she was, you know, spiritual deliverance, counseling about things she'd been through. It's a war-torn country. And so it's like she has this list of questions she's supposed to ask, you know, to, to kind of lead them through that healing and deliverance. But at some point the woman, I guess, had a vision of the river coming from the throne room, coming from the temple, and Jesus came out to her, mm. and I guess, I can't remember all the details, but basically she, all the trauma and all the pain, she put it under the river, and God just delivered her. And so, and it was, uh, this lady that was counseling her was like, well, let me ask you some more questions. She was like, she started getting, she kept saying, no, I put it under the river. Mm. And then she, she finally, she, she explained it to her. She's like, it just, she was delivered. She's like, no, Jesus came to me. I put all that stuff under the river, and I'm free and healed now. And so I just thought I'd share that, you know, that wow. that's why he wants, one reason why he wants us to go deeper yeah. into his presence mm -hmm. is so we can be healed and restored. Yes. And like you said, bring that to others. Amen. Yeah, um, it's really, you mentioning the, the healing, that's such a key part of really today's message. I don't know if I focused on it enough, but that was the aspect of I'm your healer. <clears throat> is the main thing. Um, 
earlier this week, I, I heard um, a teaching and as I was hearing it, I just had a lot of these thoughts that we shared today come about. And, but then there was this other thing I just kept on coming back to me. Watch this, it's Rephainu. It was a series. And it's our healer. That means our healer. And so I was listening to him like, but you know, this is good, but I really want to go back and hear that thing that I heard earlier in the week. And right when I started to turn it off, it started talking about the exact thing I had heard earlier in the week. And then I would, I was like, whoa, this is, I don't have to go back to the other thing. This is, and, and so then I would pause it and I would just start writing down all these thoughts that I had. And, and then I would hit play and he'd start saying all the things I wrote down. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, what's happening? But that's the thing. It's, I think the a key focus is the aspect of healing. And this healing is multidimensional that God is wanting to do in all these areas of doubt, pain, bitterness, uh, disillusionment, whatever it may be, that God's looking to touch us and bring a healing that is a, culminates in a complete salvation from all that has afflicted us, right? Such that we can walk whole. And uh, so really wonderful. Praise God. Anyone else? All right, praise God. Let's, let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your kindness. Lord, thank you for the hope you give us. Thank you, Lord, that there is nothing too difficult for you. I pray that you would help us each to see or to have the courage to stand firm and look and see what you're going to do. And Lord, that as we do, we would listen to your voice and we would go as you call us to go. Lord, I thank you for your kindness and I uh, just want to pray even this Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8 over us. Lord, may we be those that are blessed as the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So, Lord, may we be those who go forth by your power, your might, to be trees of life, Lord, to bring restoration to others, Lord, as you heal us and make us to where we are fruitful and prosperous. May we be grounded in you. May we go deep in you and be immersed in your love and your waters and your Torah and in relationship with you, with your son. Lord, we thank you for your guidance, your goodness, and your wonderful compassion on us and for the complete salvation that you're working out in us. We bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.